With us this week, we have an up-and-coming star. He's from England, which I won't hold against you, which I should. You're from England. The gentleman's name is the Dynamite Kid. Uh, it's lovely. It's lovely. Your mother here, is she? Uh, what we have here is what they say is the brightest young star in wrestling today. And I must say that I have watched you, and I am very impressed. Uh, I watched you wrestle. I watched you uh, beat two or three different people that are top contenders. And uh, you seem to do it with these, and you, you do things in there that I have never seen before, uh, which makes you unique and inventive. And I think you're a tremendous wrestler. You know Roddy Piper, mind you, but uh, then again, who is Roddy Piper? But you are a tremendous young wrestler, and, and I would like to at least give you that much credit, and I'm trying to give you a little pep talk and hoping that it won't get too rough for you and you'll be able to stay in there, man. You know something, Mr. Piper? I'm pleased. I'm very happy to be here in Piper's pit. I know you're very good. I know you're a fine wrestler, but one day I would like to wrestle you. <laughs> would, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You would like to wrestle... If you were to wrestle me in the month, how would you train to wrestle someone like me? It will take a year. Uh, Mr. Mr. Piper, Mr. Piper, the Dynamite Kid is already trained. It's funny how... Uh... The Dungeon, Calgary Dungeon, produced so many of those 80s stars. Yeah. And I mean, well, technically current stars too, because Jericho's a dungeon guy. He was a dungeon guy. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. Jericho and Lance Storm. Mm-hmm. The last dungeon student, I think, would have been Natty Neuhart, probably. Yeah. And uh, TJ, but he's not really wrestling anymore. Tyson Kidd. Right. Um. There's some good stories. There's good dungeon stories. Mm-hmm. Basically, how they had so many cats, but they kept the litter box pretty close to where he cooked the wrestlers' eggs. So mm-hmm. sometimes, if the cat take a crap, he would use the same spatula to throw the poop in the garbage that he would <laughs> to flip the eggs. Yeah, I saw some uh, Bret Hart documentary on Amazon, one of the lower budgeted ones, I guess, and. They had some audio from the dungeon, and it's just like men screaming in pain and <laughs> wailing and crying. It's like sounds like uh, like something out of that movie Seven. Oh yeah, it's it's funny that uh, just you know that we've all been stretched by people that were training because getting stretched isn't always a punishment. Sometimes it's just to for you to understand what the move would feel like mm-hmm. if it wasn't worked. Yeah. So you understand how to crank it and how to how to apply it and then know how to sell it when it's actually hurting too. It's kind of like the equivalent of a police trainee getting tased so you understand what it's like to get tased. Mm-hmm. I think that's basically what Stu Hart was doing. Yeah. And plus it was always a test to see how uh how much you're willing to uh endure to become a wrestler. Yeah. Probably got off on it too. Oh yeah, he definitely did. Just making these grown men cry. These huge grown men. Yeah, the, the Bret Hart athletes. documentary of just like it could be like three in the morning, and if you say uh, there's a football player downstairs that wants to learn a few holds, and how he would just hop out of bed instantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know we were going to talk about Dark Side of the Ring, the last episode, uh, and I guess the mid-season break 
Got the first half out. of the season out. But I realized also the A&E documentaries just ended as well. Yeah, they ended at the same time, and they both ended with uh, Dungeon Guys. You know, yeah. the last one was Bret Hart, and, you know, Dynamite Kid was the last Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. Uh, both, you know, obviously the Dynamite Kid had a lot more tragedy and not really a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Where Bret, Bret had obviously the Owen tragedy. Yeah. But, you know, it had somewhat of a happier ending as he kind of made peace with the Montreal screw job. So how did they address the Montreal Screwjob in that documentary? Because like I said, I tried to watch it several times, but uh, Sling just doesn't let you <laughs> pause or rewind or anything like that. So I saw the first half maybe three times. Well, what, how did they address the Montreal Screwjob in that, John? You know, the thing is, it's just like if this was a police interrogation yeah, uh, and you're trying to get everybody's side of the story, yeah. Brett's side of the story never changed. Mm-hmm. Brett's story never changed. He basically stuck to, you know, he had creative control. He made promises, you know, promises were made to him by Vince and they screwed him. Yeah. But, and now he's at, he's, he's reached peace with it, but he's still, you can tell he's, he's pretty adamant. You know, he got screwed. It's not like, you know, years later, he's like, oh, well, now I kind of understand what, why Vince did it. Yeah. Sticking to his guns, you know, they screwed him. And I guess it's interesting because they did talk about Undertaker, you know, and he was a big part of that locker room back then, the locker room leader. And he went and demanded to talk to Vince because he was kept out of the loop. So that was not covered in uh, Beyond the Mat, you know. He wanted to, he wasn't in the loop on the whole plan for the screw job. Yeah. I mean, he, under- he was supposed to be. Well, as the locker room leader, he expected Vince to go to him and talk yeah. and say, look, we need to handle this because he's like, you know what? Brett could have dropped the belt to me and he would have had no problem with it. And I could have dropped it to Sean the next night on Raw, mm-hmm. you know, and he came right out and said it, you know, he's just like, and Brett said it too. He's like, I could have dropped it to Steve Austin. I could have dropped it to Undertaker. I just refused to drop it to Shawn Michaels, because of that famous quote, you know, Brett tried to make peace and was like, I just want you to know I'm going to do right by you and do business. And he's like, I appreciate that, but I will tell you, I would never do the same for you. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. It's the same. St- he, his story has not changed. Yeah. So they kind of covered it. And, you know, going back and looking at that documentary, you know, with Brett and also with Dynamite Kid, those guys were raised right, Brett you know, took the business serious like a sport. You know, I was listening to Jim Cornette, mm-hmm. who was a big part of that screw job back then. Yeah. You know, and he would even say he was in on the screw job. Uh, but now listening to him in 2021, he he basically retracted everything he said. He's like, Brett was taking it too serious. Brett was being, you know, you know, being hard to work with. He should have just did it. And now Jim Cornette's like, seeing what the business has turned into 2021, I'm now... And the side of Bret Hart, knowing that it's just like, that was like the beginning of the end of like having the way the business is now. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting that, you know, he was in on it back then because he's like, well, we just got to get the belt off him. He's like, shit, I should have basically, I was okay with now I'm Bret Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm pissed off about how everybody's doing business. Yeah. Nobody's taking it serious anymore. Nobody's being a wrestler. Everybody's playing wrestler. Right. And back then it was just like, Brett, you know, you're not really the champion. You got to do business. But Mm -hmm. 
I thought that was interesting, but it was a different time, man. Yeah. And those, those Calgary guys were freaking tough, man. Stu Hart, they were, you know, the documentary talking about how, you know, they didn't have any house, you know, they didn't have a house. They were basically homeless and they were living in a tent. Yeah. You know, when he was a kid, I was like, that guy's going to be freaking tough as nails. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not surprised they produced, you know, guys like Brett Davey, you know, Jim Neidhart. Yeah. I think even Brian Pillman had a, a stint in the dungeon. I don't remember if they covered that in Dark Side, um, but it's possible, right? Yeah. I don't know if they did or any. I know because he was playing with the Calgary Stampede. So, mm-hmm. but the dynamite stuff was, is, you know, was super tragic, you know, because the thing about his tragedies is they weren't really known publicly at yeah. all. Like you didn't realize that they basically equated it to he had like basically a short man syndrome Mm -hmm. and you know that on top of like some steroid abuse and some other drug abuse and it really made him yeah an asshole after um after that dark side episode where they sort of i feel uh they veered away from the steroids a little bit on the uh, ultimate warrior one this one went hard on the steroids oh yeah i mean talking about uh walking in a locker room with a needle hanging out of his ass. Yeah. You know, or just like in the room and just basically using the needles as darts on yeah. the wall. Mm-hmm. That was pretty crazy. Uh, just, but I mean, it was accepted back then. The thing that really was interesting to me was the whole Jacques Rougeau uh, fight. Mm-hmm. Cause that was just like, that was kind of no, again, that wasn't publicly known. Now it's a little publicly known cause there's some YouTube shoot videos about it. But like, that fight was like a big deal because it basically had somewhat like you had clicks, you know, before the click in the locker room, you had the stampede guys, but then you also had, you know, some Canadians that were not part of that stampede crew, mm-hmm. which was like Dino Bravo and uh, the Rougeau brothers. Yeah. But to know that just like dynamite was adamant that everybody pay their dues. And for some reason he just had an itch for, for Jacques and just like in the middle of that card fight, just like smacked the shit out of him and just started pummeling him. Mm-hmm. So you notice they went back to the whole old school justice the same way with Jake. It's just like the roll of quarters were basically mm-hmm. <laughs> a weapon of mass destruction in a fight yeah. uh, in locker room fights in, in wrestling eighties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, the, the rumor is it also could have been, uh, actual brass knuckles. Yeah. Brass knucks. Yeah. So, uh, did that surprise you at all to hear, you know, that's kind of how back then it's just like, you think now a publicly traded company, like a fist fight like that, like a true pummeling where people, you know, could have lost an eye. And Didn't he knock out a couple of his teeth? He did. Yeah. He knocked out his teeth. And this is just this. Okay. There's no HR to complain to here at this point. No. <laughs> it's like that just, that's just part of it. Yeah. That was just part of it, man. And just like. It, it was it was pretty vicious to the point where it's just like that was like a retaliation because basically you know he beat the crap out of Jacques and then Jacques basically is like I can't even look at myself in the mirror yeah. so he just revenge had to be had mm-hmm. you know you had to basically get a receipt but then Dynamite was pissed off after Jacques leveled him and it's like next time I'll you know I'll finish you off. And then he was looking for revenge. And then the whole one thing I didn't hear about was the whole letter from the mafia thing. Mm-hmm. That was very, you know, and considering Dark Side of the Ring just covered, 
you know, the assassination of Dino Bravo yeah. in one of their earlier seasons, and basically he got gunned down. Mm-hmm. So to have Dino Bravo deliver that message is like, hey, I saw an envelope, and they basically said if if something happens to Jacques, something's going to happen to your family, and you basically get that from a guy who had known uh, ties to organized crime. Mm-hmm. So, um, what was it? Dynamite Kid got that letter? No, what? what? Jacques had the letter, uh huh, and he showed it to Dino Bravo, and he's like, I knew Dino Bravo was going to stooge me out and go back and tell. Dynamite Kid, mm. but it, it was a work letter, which sure. was crazy. Yeah. He just worked it just to, like, I don't probably don't want to get in another fist fight with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he worked that letter, knowing that it was just very prophetic because you know obviously Dino Bravo had a real letter that, and you know, and he was taken, you know, and he was taken out by the mob. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure that wasn't a secret back then that it's just like you that you know they they had these ties or maybe they were I don't know, but it's just like it's pretty fascinating human interest story that all this was happening back then where if this was happening now can you imagine yeah no they were just like hey did you know that you know aj styles was a a cigarette and moonshine runner mm-hmm. like the dukes of hazard in georgia you'd be like what is that true <laughs> no no i'm just saying it's just like that's <laughs> that's the equivalent right you have a, a wrestler that would be all over twitter and he would be he would be future endeavored and uh-huh then there would be you know definitely you know authorities looking into that yeah but well it seems like there's still stuff that seeps through right like some of the old school ways kind of make it through but when they land on twitter uh you know it's a huge deal i was thinking about that when um there was a there was a controversy over when mickey james got cut and she had those photos of how they sent her gear in a trash bag oh, yeah, or something trash bag yeah now i don't know if is that, have you ever heard of anything like that happening is that a thing no, I mean, I was surprised they actually even sent her her stuff back. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think they even, I mean, it's so different now. Basically, you know, Carano, the guy who did it, mm-hmm. he wasn't a wrestler. He was an HR guy Yeah, that brought in to do that position. But he's in a position, I mean, that was basically Jim Ross's position. Yeah. And I can guarantee you, you know, JR wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, I mean, Laurinaitis was in, maybe in that position too, but Laurinaitis also was kind of one of the boys as well. So, I mean, you had an HR, so it would have been uh, a Twitter controversy, you know, beyond words yeah. to have any kind of locker room fight uh-huh. like that, much less people, you know, crushed orbital bones and, you know, you know, dislocated jaws, which was somewhat of a receipt too, because you had a, uh, the whole Cactus Jack thing, you know, Cactus Jack being enhancement talent back then. And, you know, he just was just an honored, you know, he had basically was a huge fan of Dynamite, you know, from his Tiger Mask matches in mm-hmm. Japan, which everybody knew. I mean, I think I had a tape of that too. I mean, it was definitely a famous, famous match. So to get in the ring and like, finally, oh, I get to work the Bulldog. And he just decides, no, you know what? I'm going to just beat the crap out of you. And like, he dislocated his jaw yeah, with his bicep. Yeah. But I mean, it still seemed like Jack was okay with it though. If you notice that he didn't really say anything bad about him, Mm -mm. you know, he's like, it was an honor, you know, to be in the ring with you. And then I went back to my room and threw up, (laughs) uh, Lance Storm definitely was shooting a little bit more, uh, aggressively than cactus was that he's just like, he didn't really seem like he wanted to say anything nice about him. Yeah. But then again, you know, it was just like, 
even in a roid rage that, you know, you put a shotgun to your wife's head, mm-hmm. even if you don't pull the trigger, it's not like, well, it's not like I was going to pull the trigger. Yeah, right. I was, I was like, no, you still uh, in front of your kids. I didn't actually kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I would have barely shot. It was a buck shot. I mean, you would have just. <laughs> it was like, bird shot. Yeah, it was a bird shot. You would have been fine. You're exaggerating. <laughs> So, I mean, season overall, what do you think? What is this? I guess, are we going to count this as, uh, I guess we'll call this 3.5? No, wait. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's great. I think they're, even the ones that, you know, people were not crazy about were done really well. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the, like the Nick Gage stuff, and, you mm-hmm. know, they probably just like me. I think there's a lot more material they can go into, but... You know, like Jim uh, Cornette said in there, it's just like, shit, why don't you do light side of the ring for once? This is just heavy. It's just like, are they going to eventually run out of material? I don't know. I mean, can you base a whole show, I mean, on like incidents? Like the plane riding from hell, I'm really looking forward to, you know, because it's just like, I guess that's going to be the comedy, for lack of a better word, since nobody was actually hurt. I mean, it could have been really bad. Yeah, could have been really bad, but it's just like I'm looking forward to like a little bit of light. But I think the the future seasons, as you know, some of these tragic ones, they finally wrap up on. I just like how many more tragedies can you run into? Yeah, I mean, I do, I do think this uh, season or this first half got really dark at the end. Yeah, after the 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 Grizzly Smith episode and you know the, the Dynamite Kid episode, they all just really got. Yeah, they hit the darkest spots of the ring now. It is, and I mean, there's definitely more stuff that they can hit on that unfortunately it's a business where a lot of you know wrestlers died young and for a while like i think they're finally it's finally calmed down but do you remember like early 2000 i mean the list was absurd yeah of how many you know how many wrestlers were dying you know there's a wikipedia page and you can look at the amount of wrestlers that died in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s um hoping that you know, now that's going to start to finally taper off and slow down just because the guys, you know, the guys and girls that are in the business now, they don't party hard like, the, you know, they did in the old days. And yeah, think, and everybody's got a cell phone camera, so you can't go out and get nuts at the bar. Yeah. You can't do a whole lot. So I'm hoping um, this will t- end. I think, you, the you know, the pain pills are hopefully, I think that's kind of like finally getting in, uh, under control, hopefully, too. You know, because I think that had a lot to do with a lot of these tragedies mixed with, you know, the steroids and the pain pills and then just freak accidents. Mm -hmm. I was just like, hopefully this is like the end of that. So what's the I was going to ask you, what do you think is the appeal here of wrestling documentaries all of a sudden? Why are they all over the place? Uh, I think it's a little bit of, you know, there's always the nostalgia factor. Nostalgia is a big one, right? Nostalgia is a big one. And the current product's not that good. Yeah. I mean, it has people craving for the old days. Mm-hmm. You know, a current product is, I mean, you know, the WWE shows. Uh, I mean, I challenge anyone to watch any of those without fast forwarding. It's, I think it's impossible. Yeah. Where I think you can watch AEW, even though they have, you know, they have their stuff that they're working through too. But look, they're, they're a young company and, but they're doing everything right. Is It feels different. It looks different. It's exciting. They're not oversaturating the market. So I think they're taking the lead. But we're all such creatures of habit. You know, 
that you're just like, you're used to watching wrestling on Mondays, but it's just like, and like you're doing it, but it's not filling the void. So you're having to go back and watch it, which ironically the network was doing that before it went to Peacock. Yeah. People were just like, Oh, I went back and watched that, you know, that Royal rumble, you know, from 91. Yeah. I used to love that. I was watching all the uh, Monday night nitros for a while. Oh man. It was just so exciting. But I think people are just crazy, you know, and that's, they've, you know, Cornette says, I mean, they've basically hammered so many fans, but these fans, it's not like I've outgrown wrestling. It's just like, I can't watch what this is. Yeah. I can't watch what this product is, but they're still wrestling fans enough that they're like, I want to go back and watch. Oh, remember that? Or just like, go back and watch that raw when, you know, McMahon got that first stunner. Yeah. And, you know, CM Punk put it best in that tweet after that future endeavored, you know, it's just like you're, you have a million dollar budget, you know, you have a blockbuster budget and a, a cast, a stellar cast of thousands, but you, you know, you have inept creative that's trying to impress an audience of one. And that audience of one has basically lost touch. Yeah. And it's just like, and that's why it just doesn't work, but they still watch it. Cause it's like wrestling. It's just like even bad pizza is still good. Cause it's pizza. But yeah. you, you just can't. When you have that good pizza, you're you're still waiting for that. Like, I'm still I'm in that stage too. You're just waiting for that turnaround. Like somebody's going to be like, okay, they're about to turn the ship around because you know that traditionally they always have. There's been downtime in the territories and there's been uptimes, and you're waiting for that turnaround. So you're just like hoping that this is going to be the, be the week that it happens. Yeah, I mean. Um... The product currently WWE, I, I I would say it's it's really becoming less and less about wrestling, yeah, um, at all, and it's becoming more of a scripted drama. Oh man, with with, with fights thrown. And what's what's crazy is the ring work is great. Everybody oh, yeah. has amazing ring work, um, all all the way around. But there's just no there's no creative around it setting anything up. And on top of that, you know, there's too much TV time. Yeah, just way too much. So. I think, uh, yeah, I think people reach back. You know, they they got the nostalgia urge to go back and remember when they were marks for wrestling, and that they uh, when they would get really excited. You know, when when you could be genuinely surprised uh, by something that was going to happen. You know, yeah. I know you mentioned uh, the main event the other day, and I was thinking how much I used to love wrestling on NBC. Oh yeah. Remember how it had a different vibe to it? It just felt. Yeah. It felt more important. It felt real, yeah. And I haven't they haven't done anything like that in a while. I don't know if they still do tribute to the troops or anything. That was like the last one I could recall that actually had that NBC vibe. But and uh, yeah, and, and it's not what it used to be. Yeah, yeah. And you're you're right. I mean, the athlete they, they probably have the best athletes they've ever had in the history of their entire company as far as like athletic performance goes. But. Can you imagine having those athletes, but then setting that vibe when you had like a good set, like a good, like Roman who's, who actually is doing some of the best work he's ever done now. Can you imagine his, you know, vignette setting up for a Saturday night's main event with that guitar that and like him getting like, and you start to get excited yeah. about it. I mean, but the career, it's just the creative, yeah. they have their future endeavor, most of their creative team. Yeah. Because I know there's people in there that are there's there's just no way that all these people are, are lost to how bad the creative is now. Yeah. And they leave and it's just like there's no way. I mean, Michael Hayes, you know, Arn when he was there, I mean, these guys are 
geniuses and just like, but you know, they're just catering to the boss because he pays the bills. But when is somebody going to say enough is enough to Vince? It's just like, but it's, it's his, you know, it's his playground. Yeah. So. Vince is like that kid in a toy story who's in the backyard like, <laughs> yeah. torturing all the action figures. Yeah, that's pretty much what put on put on this costume <laughs> and do this bit and do it for months. And we don't care if nobody can, if it doesn't get over. Yeah. You just keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a really good analogy you know? to explain what that is. Um, cause the only thing that was going to make the difference. Cause now I'm even thinking ratings aren't even making difference. Cause the ratings are the shits and it's, and they're still getting paid. It's just like maybe this, the, you know, going back on the road and these tickets, not selling very well, you know, AEW is budgeted and they're doing it right. And I think, now, you know, they're overtaking them on ticket sales in a lot of the major markets. Yeah. And it's just like, AEW is doing it right because they're like, we're not at war with them. We're just trying to do the best product we, we want to do. And yeah. it's working. Yeah. And they're they're doing something unique. You know, they, they stand out. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely. They Whereas, you know, y- your, your seven hours of uh, WWE a week just all blends together and you can't really... You can't really tell one show from another anymore. I mean, of course, NXT has the look. It's just the color. If you were colorblind, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's you know? just the color. I mean, what do you think? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Are they going to keep? Are they going to go on the road and you know just take a hit on that and continue? I feel yeah. like you know they're they've been very vague about the going on the road because it sounds like they're just going on the road for TV tapings and not house shows. Yeah, which, which were the worst ones. Yeah. I mean, the house shows are great. Yeah, I mean, having like going to WWE and sitting through Raw in person. Ugh. Yeah. Oh boy. Hey, that's brutal. Yeah. That is tough. Like you better. You're in it for the long haul. Yeah. You so. can't fast forward on that <laughs> one. You can't mute. The, you can't mute it. You know. Yeah. Uh, you have to sit through those. Um, you know those packages played over and over hourly. Oh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's. I'm hoping that that's going to be again. I'm an optimist, you know, I'm waiting for that last straw to like for things to turn around and maybe they get to that point where, you know, those empty seats are going to be eye openers. Yeah. But I remember, you know, even when business was down, Vince found a way to like not make the seats look empty. Right. So unfortunately, it is just like that gives them that creative license of just like still making it feel full and look special. What's he going to do? Put screens in the seats? (laughs) Just like, yeah, keep sounds like we're going to keep some screens. Yeah. We're not giving up all the screens. Yeah. Uh, He must love being able to control the audience. Finally. Yeah. Just like, finally, they're going to do exactly what I want them to do. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was the last missing piece for him. Yeah. (laughs) I want to watch though. I want to want to watch. I want to want to watch. That's my main thing. I want to want to watch. But Raw is just so, I don't know. I don't know. Do you I, remember how cool Raw felt uh, when they basically were running the, the Manhattan Center when they first started? And they had the, like, they wanted to, you know, they just basically embraced we're going to do like a live ECW feeling show. Yeah. And they had the siren and they, you know, they had the balconies and it just looked again. It's about setting a vibe and setting a, a, a feeling. Yeah. And that did, that just really felt special. Even, even if you knew you were going to be in the same building, here's the difference. There's no difference between that raw at the Manhattan center and then running the Thunderdome every week. 
it was the same sets. Everything looked the same, but man, did it feel different. Yeah. Like, why does it not feel like that right now? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, not just that, but I mean, it, like, I can remember even being excited about Raw a few years ago. I think that, honestly, I think when they when they when they added the third hour, that was that was a big uh, that was that that's you know kind of like uh, reduced the quality, watered it down. Yeah. I guess you could say because they have all this other time to fill, and they, you know it's hard enough to get those two hours filled. Yeah, and no, it just it started to feel more and more stretched, and the show would start with twenty minute promos and just like oh. Every damn time. Yeah. There's like just every single time it's the same shit. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just like when, when these, you know, when the networks are just paying because they want to fill in hours. Yeah. Why isn't somebody saying the ratings, something is wrong with this. It's just, is the perception that business is, is doing well because it's the most successful financially it's been. So people are paying for it and not re- really interested in quality anymore. I don't know. I think, uh, well, I think, over, overall, uh, Vince is getting out of the ratings business. That's not going to matter anymore yeah. here pretty soon. Everything's going to be part of a streaming network. Um, I don't know. I, I guess they're, they're, they've got the broadcast deals that are going to continue for a few more years, right? I don't know. It's like because if they buy – if they get bought by Peacock, does, do they lose – do they have to take that show off Fox? I don't know. Or do they license it out somehow? I don't know. Speaking of which, so what do you think? You think they're gonna? Is it is is WWE up for sale? What I, have you What have you heard? I haven't heard anything, but I mean, to you know, working in 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 corporate America for twenty years, you know, and I think when people's when you have you know big waves of these cuts like this, it usually means that you're 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 prepping for um, an event. Yeah, and in this particular event it just happens to coincide with when they sunsetted the network and moved everything to peacock yeah so that's when it's just like okay this isn't just like a refresh of creative or not using wrestlers you're not using anymore nobody in creative got fired as far as i know oh this just talent and um you know some some corporate behind the scenes folks but then again it's just like is uh is getting rid of creative the thing you need to do when Vince is still going to be the one there, how do we know that creative is not really good at this, but none of their ideas are getting through? I don't know. So even if you fire them, you just need somebody that's going to, I heard the story of the guy who got hired to direct the very first season of tough enough. That was on MTV. Yeah. And they, they got in a room with a bunch of directors and they were basically doing like a group interview. Yeah. And the one director who I think he was the director for the Osbournes when the Osbournes was big on MTV, mm-hmm. they they were all kind of like pitching their ideas. And then it, when Vince is Vince and they, you know, he poo-poo him, they're like, oh, okay, well, they can work around it. Where this guy was just like, you don't know what you're talking about. This all sounds really stupid. I'm not going to do this. And he got up and he walked out. And mm-hmm. then Vince said, go back and hire him. That's our guy. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I've always heard that story. Yeah. But it's just like, who's got the grapefruits to stand up to Vince right now? Uh, to, to say this is not working. Yeah. Because I wonder about, you know, the big one that I wonder about is Triple H. Because Triple H, you know, when he built NXT in the very beginning, that was like 
that what we're talking about, right? You have something special. You made it feel special. And that all came from him. And now it's just like, so he's got to be seeing the same things that we're seeing too, right? As far as on NXT? Yeah, just like on what's not working or on the main product, what's not working anymore. Yeah. He's got to know too. Yeah. But, you know, because when Stephanie talks, she kind of feels like she she toes that, you know. The company line. Yeah, yeah. totally. And she's just like, and, you know, she's going to back her dad. Yeah. But like, who's going to be like, this isn't working. Yeah. I feel like Shane's the guy that would say something like, this isn't working. But then you're like, Shane would also say, screw it, I'm going to go skydiving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take, <laughs> take a bump off of this whatever railing. <laughs> What's the highest thing I can jump off of yeah, in this so, room? I mean, I don't know, then. They're running out of things that are going to be like surprises and, and special, you know. Like, is there going to be a like somebody, like, if you really wanted to entice CM Punk to come back for that big pop, Mm-hmm. This is not the way to do it. He sounds like he's completely done. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, being an optimist, I'm waiting for that big turnaround that happened like between the new generation and the attitude era. But I mean, did that only happen because of, you know, circling back to the Montreal screw job that something real happened and they just ran with it? And that's what made it feel so good because it felt real. I mean, Vince definitely leaned into the heel persona after that. You know, after that, he was getting a lot of heat from uh, all the viewers and he said, fuck it. I'm just going to I'm going to be this guy. Yeah. You know, and then Stone Cold was around when he came out of uh, when he came. I don't know how much how how long after that. Uh, It was well, yeah, he had already started. Yeah, he already started. Yeah, that it was not too long after that where, uh, you know, they really just leaned into that Mm -hmm. because Vince, you know. Yeah, it was all within that month and months time period. Yeah. But I don't know, man. It's just like Vince just reminds me of like this giant juiced up salmon that's like so strong and he's just able to swim against the current. Yeah. Because he's, you know, back then he would have like, fine, damn it, I'm going to give them what they want. But he just doesn't seem like he's willing to do it. I mean, one of the guys that got laid off, he just said, I never even had a conversation with Vince McMahon. Yeah. So it's just like the days of just like Shawn Michaels walking into the locker room and say, Vince, how do I become a star in this mm-hmm. company? He's like, mm-hmm. you just did, pal. They, I, don't, I don't even think it's possible. I think they basically keep him isolated and protected from anybody else talking to him. And that might be one of the detriments. Yeah. You know, that it's just like nobody's going to tell him this is. How do you tell the guy who's made a billion dollars this is dumb? Yeah. You know, he's just like. Because the the dollar signs don't show it's dumb. Yeah. The ratings do, but the dollar signs don't. So what the hell does that mean? So do you think if the company does get sold or bought by someone else, would Vince retain creative control? No. I think if if, if when he finally sells it, he's gone. I yeah. think he's done. Yeah. I think he's a, he'll be really, really done at that point. So at that point, who's booking the show? Is it going to be the – is it going to be an algorithm? I don't know. <laughs> Well, an algorithm has a better shot than what's happening now. <laughs> I know. I think I, I see uh, Stephanie and Triple H staying on similar to like Roy Disney or Dana White, you know, as part of that legacy to try to protect that history. Yeah. Uh, I And honestly, that doesn't scare me as much as it might scare some of the other people, you know, because it's just like I I feel like they they all say they listen to the fans and clearly none of them listen to the fans. Yeah. But I feel like. They might, you have a better shot getting through to them than you do to getting through to Vince. 
Here's what I think needs to happen uh, for WWE. I think the entire the entire organization as a whole needs to get hit with like an EMP that wipes out everything that they have, all their music, all their graphics. Oh, you know, everybody <laughs> everybody's gear gets ruined. Like there's nothing, and they just start back from zero with all these uh, you know all these talented folks that they got, and just start again. You know what I mean? Forget everything you've ever done because it's all kind of morphed into this thing that's not really wrestling anymore. It just it's getting harder to watch for me, yeah. honestly, to sit through. And that's sad. It's just it just doesn't feel like wrestling at all. And I feel like it's almost as if uh, you know, of course wrestling's always been a work, but now I feel like the work is a work. Yeah. A lot of guys are getting paid really well, so there's they're not going to do a lot of complaining. But then the ones that go on the indie circuit or end up going into AEW, I mean, that's why AEW's worked, you know, as well as it done because it's yeah. just like, you know, good or bad, you know, because like you say, Cornette will hate on it. But mm-hmm. good or bad, at least they're trying something. Yeah. And they're trying something new and they're trying to make it feel special. And yeah. it's just like Chris Jericho's that perfect example. I mean, he's doing great where as much as people grief as people give him if you look at him from a creative standpoint he was doing some of his best work in wwe but he was one of the guys who had the balls to say no yeah and then he had the balls to leave yeah then he had the, to sign up with someone else and just like because he's still treating it and if it works there's a lot of stuff in old wrestling of the stuff that we loved back then that didn't work too yeah but it still felt like wrestling so you forgave it yeah you took it warts and all yeah right and it seems like everything about WWE right now is so polished and clean and looks great, but has no substance. Yeah. And then AEW comes out and, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, it's it's sloppy at times. You know, the camera work isn't always that great. Sometimes, you know, it's just, it's it's not super polished. It's not hyper polished product, but you take, you accept it. You love it. Warts and all. Let's take it. Yeah. It feels like a wrestling show. And I feel like it's unpredictable sometimes, you know? Yeah, and that's the best part. Exactly. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what it's going to get. And it does feel unpredictable. And look, and I think a lot of they're going with, you know, this. they're going with the vlogger generation, right? Yeah. The, this is what, you know, social media vlogging generation of wrestlers look like. It's not going to be what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, and I'm not, maybe that's not a bad thing. Because like, would have really been in 2021 even possible to hide something like that and just like realize that it's not a work, you know, that it's a work. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you even hide that? Yeah. Other than just like, you know, the boxing level of work or like the Mayweather Logan Paul conspiracy theorists, right. That is just like, he was holding him up Mm because he was getting paid by the round. Yeah. But those are, those are worked shoots. That's not like wrestling was 100% work, but those work shoots are just like the stuff that Vegas does and it's just like okay i i got you know i got to this one player he's gonna you know he's gonna drag ass in the last round you know in the last you know the, the end of the game you yeah know, you have the boxer the butch from pulp fiction that you know okay i'll take the dive those are work shoots but like this work stuff there's it's an there's an art to it and that art is getting lost into whatever this like really frothy form of content I don't want to call it entertaining because a lot of times it's just, just not entertaining. Yeah. There's they still have some stuff that goes through and it just like, you can tell that some wrestler 
finally got a good idea through. But I mean, it's just like, it's so, I mean, it's less than 10% now. Yeah. And it's not the wrestler's fault. Yeah. That's what hurts. It's just like, back then you could have just said, I don't like this wrestler. It's just like, but you can't even say that now because these are great, entertaining guys that'll do what needs to be done. But it's just like, you're paying them and they're going to do exactly what they're told. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. 